This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. Probably there is more subject that is preached from or taught about than the subject of prayer. And yet, most Christians do very little of it. And I hope that you're not going to take this message or the series of messages as guilt-inducing about your prayer life. I urge you to begin to listen with fresh ears and read the Scripture with fresh eyes so that the Holy Spirit can truly transform your life and mine from His Word. Because I know and you know that even in the media today, the word prayer is kind of used as a catch-all. You hear the media types, especially at the time of national crisis or some emergency, and, and somebody in the media, when you hear them on television, they said, well, you have our thoughts in prayer. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, you have our best wishes. You, you have our sympathy. And sometimes it's used even as an end of a, you know, ending a conversation. Well, you have our thoughts in prayer. And the problem is that so many people who know the Lord and love the Lord, Christians who are committed to the Lord, have fallen into that muddle. And the view of prayer as means by which they can use God to serve their purpose. They think that prayer is a way by which they can use God to serve their wills. They use God as a, a slot machine. You put the prayer in and you get the answer out. Truly. I know you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they try to use God instead of giving Him control of their life. And that is why often when things don't work out the way they prayed for or prayed about it, they become very embittered. They think that God has let them down. I know from my own personal experience, back when I was young and immature Christian, and I prayed hard for something, and God would not give it to me. It took 18 months of me running away from the Lord, literally. Just gave up walking with God. <laughs> How dare God let me down? How arrogant. It's the worst 18 months of my life. But you see, that happens. When they don't get what they ask God for, they become embittered and have bitter spirits. And when you have a bitter spirit... That opens door not only to sadness and despair, but also to fruitless Christian life. Not only that, but when you become embittered in the Spirit, you open the door wide for Satan to come in and get into some areas in your life and mine that he has no business getting into, and we have no business opening those doors, simply because we are embittered. And today, as I said, I'm beginning this new series of messages. I'm calling it, Call on Me. This is different from any type of prayer preaching that you have heard me preach before. Because I really believe that the Lord wants us to call on Him, but not as strangers. He wants us to call on Him, not only when the need arises. He wants us to call on Him, not as occasional callers. He wants us to call on Him 
as a dear friend calling upon a dear friend. He wants us to call on Him as a precious child calling upon his parents or her parents. He wants us to call upon Him as a beloved calling upon a beloved. And the first in these messages in this series, Call on Me, is to do with this whole matter of hope. Because I sense there are so many Christians today, even mature Christians who are feeling a sense of hopelessness. They are feeling a sense of helplessness. They have a sense of resignation. They feel so overwhelmed with the pace of change. Most of it is not for good that is taking place in our culture, in our society, and in our world. And they feel helpless to do anything in the face of this speedy downward spiral And every time I honestly think that we've hit bottom, I see another bottom. (laughs) Several have said to me in the last few months alone how they feel that sense of helplessness to do anything. And yet, listen to me, beloved, listen to me. That is not the place where those who love and worship the Lord Jesus are to be. The New Testament teaches us that we are to be the most hope filled people on the face of God's earth. And that is why I want to turn your attention to the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 12, 12. The Apostle Paul said, rejoicing in hope, patient in affliction, persistent in prayer. I'm going to show you without a shadow of doubt that you cannot be rejoicing in hope without being persistent in prayer. The two go together. You cannot separate them. In fact, let me give you a little bit of a a cultural linguistic lesson. That in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew mind, which is the Apostle Paul certainly has, he even wrote in Greek, but he thinking as a Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, you always put the key sentence last. In English, we put the key sentence first and we build on it. But not in the Semitic languages. The key phrase comes last. In other words, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying in that short verse. That when you persist in prayer, you will be able not only to be steadfast in tough times, but you will be rejoicing in hope. I am not talking about this false optimism or that temporary optimism that comes in from positive affirmation and from uh, psyching yourself up and from saying to yourself, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. No. Biblical hope comes from knowing who you are and whose you are. Biblical hope comes from that absolute confidence that God has your best interest in His heart. And that causes you not just to be rejoicing in hope, but literally you cannot wait until to wake up every morning to see how God is going to deal with you, how God is going to bless you, how God is going to walk with you, how God is going to meet you at the point of your needs, and how God is going to use you mightily for Him. When you understand that secret, when you unlock that secret, your life will be rejoicing in what? Hope. Now, you know me, I'm realistic. I don't give you paint rainbows in the sky. <laughs> I understand that even though we are the most hope-filled, the most optimistic people in the face of the earth, there are times 
when we grieve over issues and over people. It's a fact. I can confess to you that I have been grieving over America like I've not grieved before. I have been grieving over the condition of the church of Jesus Christ like I've never grieved before. I grieve over the fact so many Christian leaders are literally caving in to the pressure of sin and compromise like a bad souffle. I'm grieving over that. I really, I am grieving over the lack of discernment among Christians. I am grieving over that. I am grieving over the half-hearted commitment that Christians around this country and in many parts of the world are into. Oh, but listen, listen. But my consistent state of mind is that of optimism, in spite of my grieving over this or that issue. Why? Because I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know where I'm going. And that keeps me persistent in prayer and rejoicing in hope. That caused me not only persevere in a tough time, but rejoicing in hope. I wanted to hear me right. This is really a very significant message that God laid on my heart. There is no true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who should be pessimistic. As I said, we may feel pessimistic about something. We may feel pessimistic about an issue. We may feel pessimistic about the lying that is taking place in our society where the good is called bad and the bad is called good. We may be pessimistic about this or that or the other thing, but we are not a pessimistic people. And the world of difference between the two, did you get it? Pessimistic people are those who do not know who they are, whose they are, and where they're going to spend eternity. That is a cause for pessimism. In fact, I was reading just this week about uh, the, the, the world pessimism, which summarized in the words of actor Dustin Hoffman, who allegedly asked people to write on his tombstone the following words, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> That's what he called pessimism. <laughs> but those who know Jesus rejoicing in what? Hope. Well, someone said, Michael, you don't understand. I understand Paul is saying rejoicing in hope, persistent in prayer. I understand that. But Paul lived in a different time. He doesn't understand the pressures of this time and the pressure of society. He doesn't understand where I am. He doesn't understand the losses that I have experienced and the losses that I'm facing. He wouldn't understand. Well, you may be right. He may not understand. But let me give you just a Reader's Digest version of what he was going through when he said those words, okay? Just let me give you a summary of it. When he said rejoicing in hope, here's what he said. He said, five times I received 40 lashes, less one. Now, in case you're counting, that's 195. And the reason they stopped the 39 lashes didn't go for the 40th, because the 40th, they believed, would kill you. And they did not want to kill him. They just want to keep him alive, suffering. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. I was adrift at sea for 24 hours. I was frequently in danger from rivers and from robbers from my people and from Gentiles, uh, from the city, from the wilderness, from the sea, 
from false brothers and in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst and cold exposure. This is, of course, he said, apart from my daily pressures, the daily pressures that I face about my anxiety over the churches of Jesus Christ. And then he writes, rejoicing in hope. Someone will say, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. This is what he went through. He's a great apostle. He was just not living probably in the real world. He, he was in his ivory tower of spiritual life, and, and, and he really wasn't kind of living in society like we are, and, and he was not experiencing the injustices and the wickedness that we are experiencing. Well, let me list to you the things that he said about the people of his day, all right? Senseless hearts, fools full of vile passions, probate minds, wicked, covetous, malicious, murderers, full of deceit, hateful toward God, insolent, haughty, boastful, without understanding, and without natural affection. And yet he said what? Rejoicing in hope. But what made the Apostle Paul to be such an optimistic person, in spite of all the, the crushing stuff that he was going through. What made him to be on a beat? And, and, and all of that he was facing and he's going through, what, what made him rejoice in hope despite of these terrible things? Things probably you and I will never see, will never experience. Ah, because his hope was based upon the absolute trust and faith that comes from a life that is persistent in prayer. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, you know, he's talking about when you hear about wars and rumors of wars and terrible things that are going to happen. When you hear all that, he said, don't let that trouble you. (laughs) Why? Ah, because when you persist in prayer, Not just as need arises. When you persist in prayer, not just when you want something from God. When you persist in prayer, God will reveal to you from His Word the unseen. He's going to reveal to you the invisible. In fact, Paul said in Romans 8 that hope is unseen. But let me ask you a question. Please answer that question to yourself. You know, just, just don't rest until you ask, answer those questions to yourself, not to me or to anybody else, just to yourself. How can God reveal this unseen? How can God reveal this invisible to someone who only comes to Him and persists in prayer only when He wants something? How can God reveal this unseen? How can He reveal this invisible to someone who prays on the run and reads the Bible, His Word, occasionally? How can He do that? When you thirst for God enough, and you get to spend more time with Him than watching television. When you're thirsting for God enough and you want to commune with Him more than spending time being entertained, when you thirst for God enough to spend as much time in His Word as you read other books, when you thirst for God enough to spend more time with Him than with your social friends, when you do that, you will unlock the secret for the rejoicing in what? Hope. That's the secret. The Greek word that the Apostle Paul uses here for persistent in prayer 
It is powerful. It is such a strong word. It, it indicates that you are unwavering in prayer. It means that you, you can say to yourself, come hell or high water, I will not compromise my time in intimacy with God one-on-one. You can say to yourself, look, I might even forget to breathe, but you're not going to forget spending time with God. You may even do away with food and with sleeping and all the physical necessities before you would give up time persistent in prayer with God on a regular basis. Why? Because it is the secret for rejoicing in what? That's the secret. It is the secret for my rejoicing and hope. It is the secret for my optimistic lifestyle. It is the secret for joy in the middle of trouble. It is the secret for victory in times of temptations. It is the secret of fruitful life and blessings in times of uncertainty. It is the secret to the power when weakness beckons and when my knees start knocking. It is the secret for confidence when everything else is blowing up in your face. Paul's secret for rejoicing in hope is persistent in prayer. Again, this is not blue sky, positive thinking, affirmation. It's not shallow thinking, optimism. No, 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 no. Not at all. You see, Paul saw the blackness of immorality, but he did not participate in it. Paul grieved over the condition of Roman society, but he did not despair of it. Paul grieved over the cruelty and selfishness of the culture of his day, but he would not allow it to cloud his vision. Uh, Paul experienced attack from bitter people, but he never allowed it to embitter his spirit, rejoicing in hope. And that hope is not just the hope of heaven. If that was it, it would have been enough. And you know who you are, whose you are, and you know that where you're going, where you'll be spending eternity. But the Apostle Paul's hope and rejoicing in that hope was not only for heaven to come, but for here and now, for this life. His being persistent in prayer helped him to rejoice in hope in this life. How? Because Paul's life really can be summarized in four words. Christ lives in me. Let's say it together. Christ lives in me. That's the summary. They talk about mission statement, vision statement, or whatever you want to go. I mean, this is it. Paul said, you want to summarize my life? You want to know why I'm such an optimistic person? Do you want to know why I rejoice in hope, regardless of this crushing circumstances that I find myself in? You want to know the secret? Four words. Christ lives in me. Now, listen, you can take weeks to uncover that, just unpack those four words. <laughs> Christ, breathe through my aspirations. Christ thinks through my thinking. Christ 
wills through my will. Christ loves through my loving. Christ reveals, travails in my labor. Christ works in me to will and to do for His good pleasure. Christ lives in me. Let's say it again. Christ lives in me. What does it mean? What does it mean for you when you're, in your, at work tomorrow morning and, you, and you're facing the problems and the difficulties and the fears and the apprehension? What does it mean when you are facing crisis in your home? And what does it mean in practical terms? It's very simply this. When you feel that apprehension and fear beginning to approach you and beginning to take hold of you, you remind yourself that what? Christ lives in me. When you become angry and you want to lash out, you say and remind yourself, Christ lives in me. When you are tempted to give up and throw in the towel, you remind yourself, Christ lives in me. Uh, when you are criticized unfairly and being taken advantage of and you feel frustrated and angry, what do you do? You remind yourself, Christ lives in me. When you face a seemingly hopeless and helpless situation, you remind yourself, Christ lives in me. When you feel you are tempted to do that which is not honoring to God, is not glorifying to God, you remind yourself, Christ lives in me. That's Paul's secret. And then soon, you begin to find yourself rejoicing in hope. Let me tell you this as I conclude. Back in the nut so very good old days. You know, we always talk about the good old days. Let me tell you something. Let's be realistic. They were not all that good. There were some good aspects of it, but they weren't all that good. And back in those days, when they used to lock up mental patients in dungeons, literally, they locked them in and throw away the key. There was a little girl by the name of Annie. And when the doctors have examined her in Boston... They have concluded it's a hopeless case, it's a helpless case, and there's no way that she can ever get out of that dungeon, and therefore they ordered that she goes into that dungeon that received very little light and indeed very little hope, and just put her there for the rest of her life. Well, there was a godly nurse who was approaching retirement age. She was a, a spirit-filled, loves the Lord, and she vehemently disagreed with the doctor's conclusion and for locking up little Annie in that dungeon. But she dared not speak out because she knew that she could lose her job. But here's what she did. Lunchtime, she would take her lunch and sit outside of that dungeon where little Annie is, and she would speak hope to her and speak the Word of God to her, and she would speak love to her. Day after day, she'll take her lunch, and she sits outside and speaks to little Annie. Annie's problem was that she would alternate between, if somebody come in the room, either she violently attacks them or she totally ignores them as if they don't exist. Well, in the case of the nurse, Annie just ignored her as if she didn't exist. 
And that continued for weeks. Then one day, this godly lady decided to bring Annie a batch of brownies. And she put them through that hall through which they put food. For a few hours, nothing happened, but then she came back the next day and they were gone. And she knew that this is not a hopeless case. Every Thursday, she would bring a batch of brownies and put them there at the door and continue day after day. Lunchtime, she would speak hope, speak love, speak the Word of God to Annie. Finally, the day came when the doctors examined little Annie, and then they decided that she has totally changed. She's not only normal, and they put her upstairs, they even want to send her home. But Annie refused to go home, choosing instead to stay, and that she too can bring hope to some of the so-called hopeless situations. Many of you, of course, know Annie as Ann Sullivan, who ministered and taught and cared for Helen Keller. Rejoicing in hope. There's no child of the living God who is born of the Spirit of God have any reason to feel a sense of hopelessness. We are to rejoice in hope. And that can only happen when we know how to persist in intimacy with God. 